Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce. Thanks for joining the conversation. Today I'm sharing the mic with Larry Wilson. And Larry's a communications trainer and founder of The Wilson Method, a program designed to help entrepreneurs, business executives, small business owners, and entertainers alike learn to communicate more effectively. And as someone who greatly appreciates those with the gift of gab, I was really intrigued by Larry's story and his desire to help others make the most impact through the art of communication. So welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you very much, Nick. Yeah. So, you know, I thought one of the things that we could kind of dial into first was when and how did you find yourself on the path to become a communications trainer? Because I think that's something that not a lot of people maybe set out to do. That's interesting. I, I that hasn't been my experience. Uh, maybe I'm well, wrong. Perfect. Maybe then, then prove me wrong. I'm here for it. <laughs> well, no, I, I can't. I first let me make it clear. I can assure you I can prove nothing. I can only tell you about my experience and then let you make of it what you will. But uh, it's interesting that you just said that a lot of people set out on that pathway. Nowadays, I don't find many people at all who set out on the pathway. Now, uh, you know, maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe. Oh, no, I said I don't know that many people do. I don't oh, know oh, that many people do. So I'm in agreement with you on that. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, yeah. I, then I misunderstood. I'm sorry. No, um, no, you're fine. Because I think. A lot of what I teach in Wilson Method is stuff that 30 or 40 years ago would have seemed completely obvious and would not have been that big a deal. Uh, this is just my theory, and it, you know, it's just my theory. I don't know how valid it is, but I, I get the feeling that the advent of technology has impacted a lot of people's uh, communication skills adversely. And, you know, if you're just doing this all the time, then you lose facial affect and you lose vocal affect and all the it's like anything else. It's like, um, you know, you were very kind in the introduction of me. You made me sound like someone who is a real expert, which I am. But you also <laughs> use the term gift of gab. And I want to clarify here. I know what you mean, but I hope that no one listening thinks that there really is some sort of gift there. Everything I think worth having in this life begins with communication. And I'm sort of uh, answering your question a very roundabout way, but what I came to discover was the very best communicators in the world are these huge stars in entertainment. And these are people I worked with for almost 40 years. Uh, I, I couldn't believe how they were able to get everything they wanted out of life, professionally, personally, culturally, spiritually. I mean, whatever they wanted. And I began to see, because I was working with them day in, day out, that they were using certain techniques. Now, some of them were enormously talented, and I wouldn't take that away from them at all. But some of them I think of who are like Academy Award-winning actors, they didn't rely on talent at all. They relied on technique, and technique is where the gift of gab comes from. You know, it's, it's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Go ahead. No, no, you jump in anytime. I, I, you know, I, I was going to say, I, and it's fair to call out um, the choice I made with saying the gift of gab too, because as we're getting further into the conversation and possibly just right now, I think we also are 
we want to touch on the fact that it isn't just your ability to speak effectively, right? It is all of these other aspects that you're you're tapping into, uh, your body language. I mean, even just as I'm saying this, my mom always used to joke around that I wouldn't be able to have a conversation if I sat on my hands because I just <laughs> use them so frequently. And so, you know, having the ability to really dial into what are the components of communication that people use to be able to bring the message that they want to bring and make sure that that resonates with people. It's yes, to a large degree, your ability to do that verbally, but there are people who possibly don't even have the ability to do that verbally. And then they're relying on all of the other mechanisms by which you can actually communicate. So when you speak about technique, yeah, that has to be super important because to some degree without technique, you can't, uh, you can't optimize the way that you're actually sharing information right. with people. Right. Well, Mama LaCroce didn't raise any fools. <laughs> she knew exactly what she was talking about with you, and she's absolutely right. What you're referring to are semiotics that are anything signaling information that is not spoken. You think of uh, a stop sign. Even if it didn't have the word stop on it, if you saw that shape and it was red, you instantly get that message. That's semiotic. Well, there's a ton of that that we do. What your mother, of course, is referring to with your hands. You know, one of the people I've worked with who I thought of now, is, uh, do you know the actor Bill Paxton? Yes. He was in, you know, he's in everything. I immediately think of him. He's the guy in the film Aliens who says, game over, man, game <laughs> over, right? And, you know, he's in Titanic and he's in True Lies and he, he had his own series on HBO, a Big Love. And he's a fantastic actor. But I was working with him on a project I will not name because it was uh, it, was, it was not that esteemed. Uh, it was a small independent film. But um, uh, they wanted him to get up and speak. And uh, they brought me in because little did I know. He was uh, very nervous about this. And I just said, you know, you'll be fine. Are you kidding? Uh, and I was just talking with him and working with him. And we worked that out. And he got up on stage in front of these people. And he was perfect with the stuff that he and I had worked on. But at one point, he was saying to me, he said, you know, Larry, he said, uh, I find that if you use your hands when you talk, uh, people take what you say more seriously. And I said, oh, I don't think so, Bill. I, I don't think it's that simple. And he said, you know what? I, I kind of think it is. And of course, he was right and I was wrong. Well, and, look at politicians, yeah. right? I mean, they're they're coached to be using their hand, oops, well, swatting right. their microphones away, using no, their no. hands in very specific ways and showing you how. But this is hysterical. You should mention this, Nikki, because... I'm I'm notoriously apolitical. I I kind of don't believe in politics. Uh, it seems like show business for people who don't have an act. <laughs> and so, and 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 I can't distinguish one from the other. Like they all seem like goofballs, you know. But I will tell you this, and this this is why I won't mention someone by name. But a very famous candidate in the United States here in the last ten years. Uh, clearly, I just thought of it because what you said about them being coached, someone had coached him, but it wasn't me. Because if I coached him, he probably would have won, but he didn't win. I'll tell you, seriously, if someone listening to this wants to run for office, they need to get in touch with me because the stuff they're doing is dreadful. And this guy, I'm almost I'm a, uh, you can see me holding back because I'm afraid I'm going to give away too much. He didn't quite understand the whole thing about his hands. And so he was doing all these wild hand gestures that were in no way connected to what he was saying. Yeah. He was just like, like all these <laughs> hand things were going. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. I recorded it because I teach uh, I teach a, a couple of times a year. I teach a two day boot camp. It's limited to just 10 students. And I call it boot camp because I, I actually make you do the things that you're learning. I'll teach some stuff and then I'll have people get up and actually do them. I want you to feel what it feels like 
to really be doing that stuff. Absolutely. And I'll show them this clip of this um, politician and with the caveat in advance saying, look, I'm not trying to promote that I'm for this guy or again, I could care less what his politics are. I just think his communication borders on insane because someone told him to use his hands and there's no connection to what, like he'll say something, he'll go, that's my point. And then he'll remember he's supposed to use his hands, so he'll sort of go, <laughs> like, after, you know. Um, but really, this is what this is what I found, is that the people who are good at this, Academy Award winners, uh, huge recording stars, uh, live performers, people like this, I saw that they all relied on technique. And this is fantastic news because technique is transferable. Technique is uh, replicatable. Talent, I don't know how to teach anyone that. I don't think anybody does. But technique, it's like hitting a tennis serve or cooking an omelet or uh, making a quilt. Any of these things, you learn how to do them from an expert and then you practice them. And the more you practice, the better you get. And if it's communication, then eventually you wind up in a situation where someone says, you have the gift of gab, don't you? <laughs> and you say, sure, okay. But you're aware that, I mean, it's funny because some of these huge actors I worked with, they were enormously talented, but it was clear they didn't want to rely on that. Yeah, it's that's interesting. Scary. It's too scary. You know, there's a famous story in uh, in Hollywood um, way before you were born, Nikki, uh, uh, a big blockbuster film, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. And uh, this is the early 60s, and it made a star of this unknown actor, enormously talented, Peter O'Toole, with the bluest blue eyes that have ever appeared on the screen. And uh, there's a very famous story. Uh, David Lean was the director, and he convinced the studio they had to shoot all this on location. Now, this, some of this may be hard to believe, for younger people, but in the days before computers and CGI and stuff like that, if you wanted to make a big sweeping epic picture, you had to go on location and all the equipment was heavy and complicated. It wasn't easily mobile. and It was expensive, a huge pain to do all this, but this is what David Lean wanted. And in Lawrence of Arabia, there's this scene that's referred to as uh, the Battle of Akba, and it's a big desert fight. And there's like a thousand people on camels with guns and explosives and charging and swords. And this, for filmmakers, you look at this and you just think, oh, this is like millions of dollars for a couple days of shooting, right? So they had this planned and all the lead actors had trailers on. They were in the desert someplace, you know, in the Middle East, trying to make all this as authentic as possible. And the first assistant director's job is to get the talent and bring them on set when they're ready. So they'd set up all the, with literally thousands of extras on horseback and camel, and there were explosions and cannons and and all kinds of, they've been rehearsing this for hours, so they're ready to go. So the first AD goes to Peter O'Toole's trailer and knocks on the door and says, Mr. O'Toole, we're ready for you on set. And the door opens, and O'Toole's in costume. And he steps out, looks, surveys this landscape with thousands of people and sniffs there and says, no, I don't think so, not today. And turns and goes back in his trailer and closes the door and won't come out. And the first AD goes to David Lean, goes, Mr. Lean, ah, I don't know what to do. I went into, he, he said, not today, and I can't get, what are we going to do? And Lean says, there's nothing we can do. He's not feeling it. So try to shoot what we can, kind of second unit stuff. We'll try again tomorrow. And then the next day they went and he was fine and it all turned out great. And won all these Academy Awards for them. But that's what happens when you depend on talent. It might be there. It might not be. And 
for the pros, that's too scary. Yeah, uh, I feel the same way. We don't ever want to be in that situation. You want stuff that's in your hip pocket that you can pull out at any time. That's what Wilson method really is. Well, and you know, it makes me um it makes me wonder with regard to the importance of the technique, how much do you feel confidence plays a role in being able to execute the technique well? <laughs> Boy, was Mama LaCroce smart here. Uh, <laughs> she's, you. she's appreciating you uh, adding well, her on the back. You, <laughs> because the questions you ask are very pertinent. Sometimes people want to ask me, what my favorite color is or <laughs> what kind of food I like. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the questions you're asking are seriously probing. What you just asked is, is like the heart of the matter. Confidence comes from repetition, from successful repetition. And some people you know, there's another element that I know you're very well versed in, which is uh, the psychological. So that um, sometimes people, uh, again, someone I won't name because she's super famous and working today right now. And everybody listening to this knows her very, very well. Superstar, singer, a performer. And every single show she does her stage fright is so terrible that she tries to talk everyone out of her going on stage to the point where you think it's a joke she's only been doing this about 50 years all right uh, it's starting to make it clear and clear who this might be but she seriously backstage every single show she says you know what look just tell them we'll refund everyone's money or, or we'll give them uh, credit for they can come back to another. It just it, it just tonight. And all of the people in her retinue, all of them are familiar with this by now. They go, it's OK. You're going to be all right. And she goes, no, no, I, I know. But I just tonight is not a good night. I just, you know, and there's a full house of people waiting. And she's saying, look, 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 just tell them that I, I got sick or, and every single time. Then once they coax her on stage, then. Ba-boom! And she brings the house down. Now, this is, I don't know her personally, so I can't comment. I, I don't know, but it seems psychological to me. Yeah. She has a wealth of experience of knowing that she can hit a grand slam every single time. But for some reason, there's something else going on in there that makes her uncertain about it. For most people who don't have that kind of uh, handicap, once you've done something enough, you start to realize, oh, yeah, I know how to hit this golf ball. I know how to paint this uh, picture, do this, whatever the skill is that you've learned. And then you start to feel like, yeah, I can do this. I know. I and sometimes one of the signs of being really confident about this is you start to devalue your skill. You think, well, that's that's not really so hard, getting out in front of a thousand people to speak to strangers. Yeah, anyone could do it. Well, you're right. Anyone could do it with proper training. But without proper training, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Nikki, but the number one fear of adults in the world is public speaking. I can't say that surprises me. Yeah. Well, but, but I mean, what's crazy is number two, the number two fear is death. You know, I thought you were going to say that. I thought, God, that's so really kind of sad, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's beyond sad. It's, it's not. What it means is if you were at someone's funeral giving a eulogy, it means you would rather be in the box than giving the eulogy. Now, that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. I understand why it is. And and I know, I mean, it's something that we work on in in Wilson method because it's very common. And you know, I had a I had a young woman who came to boot camp 
uh, once who I think was like 23 years old, just graduated from UCLA and was a poli sci major, wanted to go into politics, actually. Her name was Emma. And she was fantastic. Everything about her was fantastic, except if she had to speak in front of two or three people, her hands would start to shake and she'd start sweating and she'd start kind of mumbling her words. And, and so, you know, this boot camp I do is two days and we're in a convention hotel in a small meeting room. But coming in in the morning, I ran into a friend of mine who was doing some other event in some other part of the hotel. And he said, oh, at lunchtime, would you bring some of your students down? I want to introduce them to my students. And I said, OK, sure. So I asked my students, I said, do you feel OK with this? And they were like, yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, this is actually the second day. So we've done one full day. And the second day, uh, I said to them, don't expect any. It's just he's obviously going to say this is Larry Wilson's people and that's it. Well, I couldn't be more wrong. He gets them up in front of like 80 people in this room and starts to interview them and says, what did you get from uh, Wilson Method so far? Well, the first person he talks to is Emma. And Emma takes the microphone, says, well, prior to this training, I couldn't get up in front of a couple people. She said, but now I'm in front of 80 people here. She said, do I seem nervous to you? And the guy interviewing her said, no, you seem like you've been doing this your whole life. She said, yeah, I haven't actually finished the full two days of boot camp. This is after just one day. Well, she was right, of course. Once you understand, uh, we deconstruct some of the psychology of that fear. And, you know, usually it has to do with the feeling of being judged. Um, this is universal, I think. We so all can I... I want to I want to interject to ask a question <laughs> that um to use your word is a, is a bit probing. And so do you feel like part of why you went down this path was because you personally experienced that sense of wanting to not only be able to communicate more effectively but be, be able to have that confidence be able to eliminate that fear of judgment like how did your own experiences factor into that? Of course Nikki Lacroce. You know <laughs> This this uh, podcast we're doing is a little bit of a cheat, isn't it? Because uh, Nikki called me up or asked me to call her. I don't know. But we talked a few weeks ago. And it feels to me like we talked for hours. And I feel so close to you that Thank I you. feel, well, I feel like we're old friends. And so it's funny. Usually on these podcasts, there are people I don't know at all. And I, I only met you recently, but the question you're asking, of course, is 100% on the nose. I grew up in a very nice family, a lovely mother and father uh, who loved me and provided a lovely uh, a childhood for me. But my father was a very famous, very uh, esteemed psychoanalyst. And I think the reason that he pursued psychoanalysis as a profession is because he knew that he had certain limitations that he couldn't quite connect with people on a human level. Now, I knew that he loved me. My mother was completely the opposite. She was so effusive and warm. Everyone who ever met her loved her. But my father was very cerebral, very intellectual. And and it wasn't just a choice. I mean, I think I think there was some, I don't know if it was organic. I don't know what it was. But I could see him sometimes struggling to uh, affect the behavior of humans. Now, what's funny about this is I suspect it made him an extraordinarily effective psychoanalyst mm -hmm. because in therapy he was totally detached he was listening and he was speaking with you but he was not emotionally invested sometimes people would reveal i mean it's not uncommon traumatic horrible events from their formative years and 
I only know about this. My father never, ever discussed his business ever my entire life. But when I was an adult, uh, there'd be times when I'd run into people who'd say, oh, uh, you're Dr. Wilson's son, I see. And they'd say, well, I was in treatment with him for five years and he saved my life. And sometimes I thought that they were being hyperbolic. They meant, oh, I felt that. No, a couple of times I found out a patient, he had a patient who was some very high, highly placed uh, physicist and a molecular biologist, but this guy carried a tiny vial of poison with him everywhere because he felt he, this is, I'm just telling you what he told me. He said, I had such strong feelings of suicide all the time that I didn't want to miss the opportunity. If I wanted to have that poison with me. If it got to be too much, I could just take it and then be done. And he said, it was after years of treatment with your father, he said, that I started leaving the vial at home, thinking, well, if I really want to, when I get home, I can take it. And then eventually he got rid of the vial. Now, I mean, uh, this was just one. I met a number of different people. And what was interesting was they didn't realize what they were saying, I think, when they're talking to me. But what came out is what was enormously um, uh, gratifying for them in treatment with my father is that he didn't get emotionally involved in some of these horrible stories that uh, I remember a woman who told me that in treatment with him, uh, she, and this is a woman who is a very accomplished psychoanalyst herself. Um, but every now and then she'd go into the closet and beat her head on the wall until it was bloody. And so she sort of thought that might be a bad sign. Do you think? Yeah. But yep. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, Therapists but, need therapy too. <laughs> Of course. But she told me, she said that uh, she started to recover some memories that she couldn't remember anything that happened to her before she was 10 years old. And in the course of treatment with my father, some of these memories started to come out and they involved, uh, uh, I, it's not my place really to get it, they involved molestation. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was so horrified, um, she said to my father, what do you think of that? And my father's response was, how unfortunate. Now, well, it's like the, your your father was taking the very objective approach to be able to be more effective in treatment is what that well, sounds like. You're saying he's taking the approach. I don't think he had any choice. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Based on what you're that's what's so weird. And so as a child, now, uh, some of this I didn't realize as a child. I, I see it now looking back. But I was drawn to people who were able to connect in a human way. Mm -hmm. And I, I've i said this, uh, maybe it was only to you I've said it, Nikki, in our prior conversation. I remember as a very small child seeing The Wizard of Oz. and just being captivated at the end of the film when Dorothy reveals there is no wizard, it's this guy. And she says, you're a very bad man. And he says, no, no, my dear, I'm, I'm not a bad man. I'm a good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. And then he proceeds to solve all their problems just with the way he uses language. You, my friend, are of the mistaken assumption that because you run from danger that you have no courage. Well, back home where I come from, there, as a kid, I was looking at this, and I thought, I'll never forget this, Nikki. And so help me. As a friend of mine from Kentucky used to say, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is the God's honest truth. I remember sitting there thinking, my real father. I didn't know what, I don't know why I thought that, but he seemed more like my real father than this father who 
I lived with and who provided everything for me and was doing the best he could. Yeah, absolutely. But but that's the earliest memory I have of being drawn to people who have all these abilities to connect with any human. And, you know, I, I, I'm being facetious on my podcast. I have a podcast called, uh, well, never mind what it's called, but no, what's my, it called? Please, please. Is it <laughs> called the Wilson did. method? <laughs> no, no. But I heard myself saying it sounded like I was doing some kind of pitch. I didn't want to, uh, no, no, my, you're more than welcome to promote your, your show. Well, <laughs> You're very kind. My podcast is called How to Talk to Humans. Well, I think that's great. <laughs> and well, I'll have to tune in. It, I have a caveat. I say, look, if you want to deal with werewolves or vampires or extraterrestrials, I can't help you. Um, I can only deal with humans. But truthfully, Nikki, I've traveled all around the world. I've led this incredibly weird life in show business. And it really allowed me access to people in places I never imagined. And the one lesson that was so clear is that people are the same everywhere. Yes. They really are the same. And I'll tell you another odd story. <laughs> I, um, I, this is years ago, I was in a little town in Michigan, Flint, Michigan, I think. I was at some club there for a few days, and I'd already done the first night or two. And I, it was during the day I was in some fast food place or something, and I don't know, I felt irritable. I don't know why. But the people in front of me couldn't get their order right, and I was thinking, these people, they're idiots. And then one of them turned around looked at me and said, hey, you're that magic guy. And I said, uh, yeah. And they said, we saw you last night. You're fantastic. So, of course, my opinion of them changed suddenly, very dramatically. And I had an epiphany at that moment. I thought, oh, that's what I'm really doing. I'm just trying to make friends with everyone in the world so that wherever I go, I'm already friends with everyone. And... Some of these things uh, maybe are so obvious to someone outside of me, but I didn't know it at the time. Well, I think and it's I, a really be it's a really beautiful sentiment, Larry, and I relate to that a lot because of this podcast. I actually said to my wife the other day, I'm feeling so much more connected to this now than I ever have because I've been really consistent with speaking to people at least a couple of times a week, whether they're intro calls or episodes and realizing it isn't just about the ability to communicate with people. That's obviously the first part of it because you have to be able to do that to connect with people, but it's being able to build those connections through deep and meaningful communication. And even the ones that aren't necessarily deep and meaningful in that way of this is super intimate and you have to be, you know, really digging into your past or whatever it might be. We think about communication being really such an important part of starting those relationships. And then there's also the added part of it where you want to have that sense of connection and belonging with people. And the fact that I've been able to just meet so many different human beings, their experiences have been either drastically different or similar in sort of the outcomes, but not the actual circumstances that have led them to become who they are. And as you said, we are so similar as human beings just by the nature of wanting to create that community among us. So it makes a lot of sense to me that that would be a feeling that you had because there's an immense amount of gratification and and gratitude that comes from having those interactions with people, those micro interactions that can really change your day, change your life. And I mean, how interesting is it to think that you met these people in a fast food restaurant? They may or may not remember this moment, right? But it's something oh. that you come back to as an anchor point of those connections <laughs> with people, which is really cool. Well, it, it's interesting, you know, I'm going to say something that sounds so fake and sounds so contrived. But again, all I can tell you is 
It's the gospel truth. Last night, I was performing in a club. And they'd had me, uh, they brought me in specially to this place because it's their 19th anniversary. And I've been there many times. And this is a very exciting thing. And a man comes up with his wife and two daughters. And the daughters look like maybe they're late teens or early 20s. They all seem to really enjoy the show. And he introduced himself in a way that I was clearly supposed to know who he was. I didn't know who he was. And he said, I met you uh, at a show 40 years ago. And I said, oh. And he said, I've been listening to your podcast. He said, all the stuff you talk on the podcast, you did 40 years ago. He said, that's why I remember you. Now, it's funny because uh, in Wilson Method, I'll talk about three C's sometimes, which is to connect, convey, and create. I want you to be able to connect with people before you've even spoken a word so that you can convey your message. And to your point, Nikki, create authentic bonds because those last forever. Mm -hmm. And here's a guy saying to me uh, 40 years ago, and he said, all the stuff you talk about. In this podcast, he said, all these Wilson methods, he said, you were doing those. I said, well, I must have been for you to remember this for 40 years. I said, let's do this again before 40 years goes by. Let's, you know, I mean, it's, I don't think of myself as philosophical that much. Maybe it's just compared to great philosophers. I don't know. But what you're talking about, mirrors my experience so much, Nikki. And you can't help but start to feel like the difference in all these experiences, whether we feel separate or together. Do we feel like all of us are isolated and alone? Or do we realize that all of us are part of something together, you know? Definitely. I think about that quite often. Um, and uh, I do fancy myself a bit philosophical, for better or for worse, I'm sure, sometimes. And, you know, it really speaks to the fact, um, no pun intended, but I that we are a community-based species. We desire to have that connection. And so you often see people who are insecure in their ability to communicate be the people who sort of withdraw themselves from society, the people who kind of lurk in the background and even digitally speaking as well. And it's so much easier to be anonymous now in this day and age um, yeah. where people feel like, okay, well, at least I can say what I want to say. And then I don't maybe have to be accountable for it again, for better or for worse, perhaps. Right. Um, and it really, part of what I was thinking about when I was um, preparing for our episode was you had, um, in your course, I don't know if you want to call it a course, in your program, um, you you speak about having people really also get comfortable in the different environments in which people exist. So whether that's in person or on camera, like you and I are doing right now, for instance. Right. And right. it's like, do you feel that it has become more challenging or perhaps easier to help people improve their communication now that there are so many different ways that you can communicate compared to, you know, 30, 40 years ago when that was primarily happening in person, unless you were professional. Right. You ask tricky questions, uh, <laughs> because it's, I think it's harder for people because they've lost so much uh, skill at communication. But your question, I think, is interesting because it's easier to help them. The very fact that you and I are doing this online is a proof of that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a Luddite. I'm not opposed to uh, technology. But I, I don't think it's a religion that we should worship. You yeah. know, 
Um, I have a love-hate relationship having spent 15 years in the tech space professionally. Oh, yeah. So you, you told me that there's the benefits and the and the um I think the parts of it that pull us away from actually really being present in a moment. So you have to strike a balance. No, you you put your finger right on it. Is that we should try to take everything positive we can from it and use it. You know, the wheel is a fantastic tool. Fire, fantastic tool. We should try to approach it with that attitude and not, like you said, let it separate us. It's really interesting you said that we're community-based. I mean, we, as humans, we absolutely want to become members of a tribe. It's very important. And, of course, on more primitive levels, I guess there's a sense of, well, our tribe is different than your tribe. But that's um, that's much less evolved. Mm-hmm. That using the technology like you and I are, you start to realize, oh, all these tribes, we're all part of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when you start to see it, you know, it is funny because you start to see things like hate, for example. I'm starting to get the feeling that hate, all of it, comes from fear. I completely agree with that. And actually, uh, psychologically speaking, that it, it fear is the root emotion that leads to hate. It's actually something that I Googled because I was oh. like, I need, I, I need to understand what the origin of hate is, especially well, because... See- People communicate hate, right? right. Like it's it's right. not just people when we're talking about this right now and we're speaking about the Wilson method, my thought is the intent here obviously is you're using this for good. And people who are coming to your boot camp are going there and they're thinking, okay, I'm gonna become better at communicating so I can live a more productive life and and achieve my dreams. And then there are also people who separate of the work that you do are communicating effectively, whether we want them to be or not, about messages that are proliferating, um, you know, hatred or or violence right. towards other people. And it's like, it's really interesting. I hadn't really thought of the dichotomy of that in in just historically speaking, how communication has worked for us and against us. Absolutely. Well, you're so much smarter than I am, Nikki, because I wouldn't even think to Google it. But of course, that's a smart reaction. That's a good idea. Um, I think that may just show the difference in our ages. You know, I I had this moment where I just thought (laughs) my my mom would, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, where we were talking about words that we, um, if we didn't know a word that my mom would say, go get the dictionary and look it up. And when Google right. came around, it was like, why don't you get the dictionary? And I was like, why would I get the dictionary? Google's here. I can just go easily do that. And so I feel I, like there was, um, you're, you're probably a generation younger than my mother at, at least. Um, and, but I would say that it's still that mindset of like, I grew up at the threshold of technology sort of switching over. So right. yeah, I totally would have gone and picked up a dictionary for the first like 12 years of my life. And then I would start Googling it, you know? Well, so it's very, it very smart. to me. <laughs> it's funny because you have an analytical mind. Um, but if you think about it, it seems a little um, counterintuitive that uh, hate should come from fear. I think sometimes people feel when they're really angry, somehow that's powerful. But it really comes from this place that's not powerful. Right. It's insecurity. It is. And and it's so weird because you can't uh, you can't live other people's experience for them. They have to have whatever their experience is. Mm -hmm. You can help them if they ask for help. But it's funny because uh, a, a major tenet of my training, Wilson Method, is that you have to ask for what you want. It's so important. And it's so important. And and sometimes in boot camp, I'll go around the room and ask people, I'll give them a, a fictional assignment. I'll say, you're trying to get a raise or something like this. And I'll say, go around the room. And, everyone, and people will say things that they think are really asking. They'll say, you know, um, 
if I say, oh, you're trying to ask your boss for reasons, say, well, I'm very valuable here and I've done a lot of important things here. You can see that I, uh, uh, the project I did, we made this much more money and, uh, you know, I really think that I should be recognized here. And I'll say, so did you feel you were asking for a raise? And they said, yeah. I'll say, I didn't hear that. I heard you talking about how you feel and you feel you're valuable and uh, you feel you've done some good stuff for the company. Asking for it, be saying, I need a raise. Mm -hmm. I need you to pay me 20% more. I'm not suggesting this is what people should do. I'm just as an example. But possibly. I mean, at this point, probably. <laughs> well, right. But whatever it is, it's funny how many times people think they're asking for something and they aren't. Now, you know, to that point. Sometimes, well, sometimes they ask for it and then they immediately undercut themselves. I need to get more money unless this is not a good time. And which, you know, well. You have to stand in your power, right? And I feel like that's yeah. part of what you're trying to help teach people is that it's not just the confidence with which you say it. It's also the strength behind the statement that you're making and trying to establish it really, to your point, it really comes back to the confidence and the psychological aspect behind it. Because if you don't communicate what your needs are, then your needs can't be met. If you don't communicate what your expectations are, then there's a good chance that you are going to feel that somebody didn't meet those or that you are going to be disappointed. So of course you need to be direct, but we are so resistant to that direct communication because if we receive it, we take it personally. And if we right. have to give it, we feel like somebody's going to take it personally. So they're kind of in this like little dance about like, how do I say it to you without offending you? But also I can't get what I want if I don't tell you exactly what that is. Well, I rolled my eyes a moment ago uh, <laughs> because you sound like you've been through Wilson method training. Um, when you said, if you don't communicate your needs, they won't be met. I wish I'd said that as succinctly. I Feel free to use it. <laughs> well, thank you. I can assure you I will. Um, a lot of times I'll talk about in Wilson Method that short declarative sentences carry more power. Mm -hmm. Like the sentence, short declarative sentences carry more power. When when we add the word and, and when we put in parentheticals, we say short declarative sentences. And by that, I hope you don't think I mean something other than what I'm actually saying. Of course, there are exceptions to all. The when you start doing that, we lose the thread of what you're mm -hmm. saying, and you're you're watering down your message. By the time you come to the period at the end, we can't remember what you were referring to. I do that. Uh, I definitely do that. I have a knack for that, too. I love well, a good parenthetical. Well, but you just said it when you said if your needs aren't being expressed, they won't be met. Yeah, that's short and impossible to misunderstand. You're right. Well, that's a that's a really good point, Larry. It really it can't be misinterpreted. It would I, be. Or it would be extremely difficult to misinterpret that. If somebody someone, wanted to, I'm sure they could. <laughs> right. It, the only way it's misinterpreted is by someone willfully trying to misunderstand. Mm -hmm. And even then, I question whether they could do it with a straight face. The shorter declarative sentence makes your message so clear. Now, it doesn't have to be brusque or rude. What we're always aiming for is clarity. That's what I think we're always trying to achieve. What you're saying right there, you're you're on top of this game here. It's funny because it also sort of circles back to what we were talking about before about people's fear of speaking and things. All of these things come back to us being self-conscious. We're nervous to get up in front of a group of 500 people to speak. Am I dressed right? Does my hair look okay? What's going on with that eyebrow of mine? And all that's all self-consciousness but once you begin to understand and this is something we go over in the training is that the people in the audience are not judging you that's you judging you mm -hmm. 
And that comes from fear. Definitely. I can attest to that. The truth of the matter is the people in the audience identify with you. And they're thinking, thank God it's you up on stage and not me. And they already know how scary it can be. They're already pulling for you. They want you to succeed. If you give them any opportunity to support you, they will. Now, I've met people, some performers, some speakers, who have a very hostile attitude towards the audience. I've never understood that. I've had performers who say to me, oh, yeah, those audiences, they're animals. And I'm thinking, no, they aren't. They're just like you. Now, Mm -hmm. you have to, you were talking before about, uh, it's funny, see, this is because you and I cheated because we've talked before this. You made reference to something that that may not make sense to a listener. Uh, I also talk sometimes in Will Smith about three Ds, uh, to determine, define, and deploy. I want you to determine your goal in every communication before entering. Tons of people think, oh, I'm great at communicating. I'll just go in and wing it. And you know how that winds up. It doesn't go well. Uh, I want you to think clearly, what are you trying to do here? So that you can then communicate more effectively. You have to define, and this is what you were talking about, define the means. Is it on Zoom like this? Well, that uses a certain set of tools. Or is it face-to-face? Or is it on the phone? Or is it a text? Is it an email? All these things use different techniques. And then, of course, the third D is to deploy the tools that you learn in Wilson Method. But you are 100% correct that that fear is, um, you know, I saw someone wrote the other day, uh, they said, uh, fear knocked at the door and uh, faith answered there was no one there. And that may be more um, religious based than I am. Well, I think, you know, I think faith and, and religion can be separated, right? So I think part of it is having the uh, just the sense of faith that, you know, yes, I can That's do this I if I get out of my own way. That's right. That's how I interpret it. And, you know, and it's funny because the more I see people who are motivated by fear, and and sometimes you want to save them. You want to just come and say, oh, you don't have to be afraid. Well, that's not effective. Yeah. Because people who are afraid don't care what you say for whatever reason they may be feeling that. But if you can help them have an experience of their own where they come to that understanding and they said oh i'm not sure i have to be afraid Mm -hmm. now of course doing it once does i told you about that student of mine emma for her you know i gave you sort of a shortcut version of it but what she told me later was no actually she told me that morning before we went in that she was nervous about her uh, fiance's father. She said, whenever she met with him, talked to him, she felt kind of uncomfortable. And I said, oh, and we talked, and it was the same thing. I said, I think you're self-conscious. I said, but did it ever occur to you that the father may be feeling the same way you're feeling? That he may be more worried what you think about him? And she said, no, I never. I said, well, why don't you try that? Well, that night she you know, went over to her fiance's house where his family was there and the father. And she said, the father suddenly had no power at all over me. He suddenly seemed like it was him who was nervous. And I said, well, yeah, that's how everybody is. So she had an experience that was her own where she felt like I don't have to be afraid of these people. Well, no, of course not. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be afraid of anybody. 
you know? You know it's interesting, Larry, too, um, as we're kind of wrapping up our conversation here, you preemptively answered a question I wanted to ask quite perfectly. <laughs> you know, it, I was going to ask what were some of the most impactful moments that you've had with clients. And I feel like throughout the episode, you've shared that. And in particular, this one around that sense of fear and also reframing the circumstances to allow ourselves to experience things for what they are rather than the narrative that we're telling ourselves is so valuable. And this is something that I've been feeling lately a lot of synchronicity in my life. And in particular, the timing of having episodes that I'm putting out really relate to parts of my life in a given moment or speaking to certain people like yourself in a given moment and realizing I needed this right now. And the the comments that you've made have really been driven in further to my mind and, and my soul, I should say, um, because I was thinking to myself this week, what's stopping me from achieving what I want to achieve? And is it the fact that I, and I know this for myself because I've done enough therapy to know that I hold this deep-seated fear of rejection from moments in my childhood related to bullying, related to other life circumstances. And, Mm -hmm. And still looking back at that and being like, how do I separate that feeling of fear, that feeling of rejection from what I'm trying to do right now so that I can communicate effectively ways that, I want to about things that are important to me. And that idea of getting out of your own way requires you to look inward, look at the things that you're doing and decide, are these actually helping me achieve my goal or are they holding me back? And the things that you discuss with your program and the people that you've helped and just your overall philosophy on it is you can do it and not in that like blanket toxic positivity way. Like you can do it no matter what, no worries. It's like, (laughs) yes. But also if you're, if you first become aware of that, then you can start to implement the things that will help you gain that confidence that will help you therefore be more effective in your communication or whatever it is, the path that you might be on. Right. Because it's not just the work that you're doing. I think what you're saying applies more broadly to various aspects of our lives to be able to feel more connected to ourselves and more connected to each other. And I really admire the way that your approach can tap into those other parts of ourselves rather than just trying to say, hey, come here for this two-day boot camp and you know, <laughs> this is what you'll learn and okay, be on your merry way. It's like you take those results that you're seeing with people and you can continue to apply those to stories that you're sharing elsewhere that are then giving yeah. an inherent benefit to somebody who may never attend one of your boot camps. Well, of course, you know, I'll tell you, I did something, Nikki, because of the conversation you and I had. Uh, I built a special page. Uh, my the, my website is thewilsonmethod.com, but I built a special page for your people here, it's uh, thewilsonmethod.com slash N-I-K-K-I. If people want to know more stuff, if they there's a bunch of free stuff there. But awesome. I also spent most of the pandemic lockdown uh, building an online training for Wilson Method because of what you asked before. Is this technology able? Well, I'm a little slow to the party, but I eventually figured it out. Yeah, I could create something. It just was a little harder for me. But um, if people are interested, they can go there. And if people are actually interested in any of this Wilson Method stuff, um, for the online training, I'll uh, do some phenomenal, ridiculous discount of like 50%. Um, because I'll know they came from you. Well, Larry, I really appreciate that. I appreciate that you were so thoughtful about that. And you also just answered the last question I was going to ask, which is where should people go to learn more? (laughs) Um, you know, and I was about to say the Wilson method.com. So folks, that is the Wilson method.com slash N I K K I apparently. And I'm very excited about that. Well, that's only if you want something special, you can always (laughs) go to the Wilson method.com and that's fine. 
But if you want something special for uh, uh, who the, I don't know whether you call it who the fuck or you. I, I do. I call it who the fuck, but I, the website's who the FCK. So it's <laughs> whatever works for people and whatever they're comfortable saying. <laughs> okay. Well, either way, um, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, it's very, very gratifying to hear you say the things you've said here. I couldn't be happier. Um, you have no idea. It makes my day. Thank you. So I feel, you, I'm sorry. I didn't no, mean to interrupt. No, I apologize. it makes my day because, because what you're saying is uh, you and I, I think are on the same wavelength here. It's that this power of communication that, you know, if you said to me, Nikki, oh, Larry, you should learn to be a jockey. Well, I'm too big to be a jockey. I mean, I guess I could be one, but I don't think I'd win many races. <laughs> but there's a lot. If you said, oh, Larry, you should consider being a professional basketball player. I'm too short to be a professional basketball player. But the beauty of communication is anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. And if they're able to get a fraction of what you were just describing there, which is what I always hope for, I hope that my students, you know, you asked about success stories. There was a guy who flew in from Germany to train with me, a guy named Patrick. And he really came to me uh, for business stuff. He wanted to be able to talk to people he'd never met before and be more relaxed and uh, be able to deliver his message more. And he did great. We made incredible progress. And I gave him, we did this in Los Angeles. I gave him a ride to the Los Angeles International Airport on his way home. And he just mentioned offhand a couple things about his wife. And he wished that she'd been able to come because he felt sometimes like she didn't really understand stuff. And I didn't say anything. I was just listening to it. About a month after he gets home to Germany, he sent me this videotape. Now, I think it's on the website. So it's somewhere in my stuff, you'll stumble across if you dig deep enough. But he sends me this videotape saying, you know, I had a fantastic experience. I was worried at first if it was going to be worth the expense of flying in and everything else. But it was so incredible. And I've got to, he said, but I wanted to tell you about something unexpected that happened. He said, I realized after I'd been home a couple of weeks that my wife and I were talking about things we'd never talked about in 10 years of marriage. He said, I didn't realize it was because I was using all this Wilson method technique. He said, it's so natural that you're not even aware. You just start making it part of your everyday life. And he said, this is like the most incredible thing I did not expect. I did not come for this. He said, but we're talking about stuff we've never talked about. And to me, I hope he makes a million dollars in business, but quite frankly, it can't compare to that. Yeah, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, that definitely resonates a lot with me. It It is. It's those unexpected outcomes that I find to be the most impactful. And to be able to receive that feedback from people who are now more effective at communicating, I think really just adds to that. It it really, I think, amplifies the benefits of what you're doing and the intent behind what you're doing, which is to help other people make their lives better, whether that's professionally or personally. And I, I really admire and appreciate that, Larry. Well, thank you. You make me sound a little bit more saintly than I think I really <laughs> am. It's very kind of you. I have to tell you, sometimes, Nikki, I feel like I'm doing it all for me. Because like that experience I told you about in that fast food restaurant, when I'm training people and I see the light bulb go off in their head and they have an experience like that, it makes me feel like I'm making the world a better place for me to live in. Well, a better place yeah. for everybody, though, isn't it? By, well, yes. by nature. <laughs> yes, but I'm not responsible for everybody else. That's <laughs> true. I'm but that's I mean, the beauty that's though, of it. You get to be like, look, I've gifted the world this beautiful thing and then you do with it what you will. That's right. But what's so funny, I swear to you, and that's why it seems so silly because 
in my head, maybe I'm still just like a five-year-old, that feeling when I was very young and feeling like I want to find people I can connect with. I feel like, well, I'm finding them and teaching them how to do it all over the place. Yeah. And eventually everyone all over the world, I'll be able to connect, you know, uh, I'm so pleased that you have that feeling about it. And I have to tell you, it's, you know, I, I perform, I still perform as a comedy magician, you know, in uh, 2017 named comedy magician of the year, but it's different when I perform. I, I do that. The audience has a wonderful time and hopefully wonderful memories, but then it's over. Mm -hmm. But the Wilson method training feels like I'm dropping a pebble in the pond and the ripples go on forever. Yeah, definitely. Larry, that's just, I think, a perfect way to cap the episode Gang, that's all for this episode of Who the Fuck. Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and for sharing your story and the insights that you have. And as you all heard, if you want to learn more about Larry and the Wilson Method, you can visit thewilsonmethod.com or thewilsonmethod.com slash Nikki. And we will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.